Hi, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. My name is Joe Hawaiik, and on behalf of the Partners in Digital Health, I am delighted to welcome you to the fifth annual Converge to Accelerate Symposium. This is a 2021 symposium. In this session, we are uh, welcoming Susie Postel. Susie Postel is the uh, Chief Health Informatics Officer at the Indian uh, Health Service. Uh, she's going to talk to us about the Indian Health Service and how they improved access to care through telehealth. I shall ask you, Susie, hello, how are you? And please tell us a little bit about yourself and the Indian Health Service. Introduce us to uh, your work over there. Hi, hi, Joe. Thank you very much for this opportunity to present and to talk with you about the great work taking place at the Indian Health Service. The Indian Health Service is part of the Department of Health and Human Services. It's one of the agencies. We support 2.6 million Native American and Alaska Native patients um, to provide health care. Um, we have 12 areas within the United States that we um, it's 37 states that we support the healthcare of the population, and we have 24 hospitals, we have health centers, and more. Um, we, this, we are the federal aspect of the um, healthcare. There is also tribal and urban as well, and um, I will be speaking mainly about the federal support um, to improve healthcare through Indian, um, through telehealth. My role as the chief health informatics officer is um, I'm, I help to lead quality initiatives, bridging medicine with technology. The important thing to note is that um, we expanded telehealth in 2020, and you'll hear more about that. So um, to help improve care, to help support our healthcare providers, to help support our patients um, during the public health emergency. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. That's, that's, uh, I'm really looking forward to, to listening. Can we kick off with the situation before you uh, implemented telehealth, the conditions under which you were uh, having to operate, the health concerns of the population that you serve, the regulatory or policy or the rules around uh, the use of telehealth, all of those uh, situation uh, that even caused caused the problem or caused the challenge? Sure. So the American Indian and the Alaska Native population have um, some disparities. They also have health concerns. Uh, some of the leading causes uh, of death or disease, heart disease, cancer, accidents, diabetes, mellitus. Um, there's a high prevalence of mental health uh, issues and suicide, obesity, substance abuse, um, sudden infant death syndrome, teenage pregnancy, liver disease and hepatitis. So um, as you can see, there are these disparities. There's are these um, high prevalence of health concerns that we wanna make sure during this public health emergency and after and before that we provide care um, and reach out to this population to support population health and the patient. Thank you. And the the rules or the conditions of access, the, the, the limitations that you had or the uh, constraints around uh, how uh, tele can be used in healthcare? Sure. So with telehealth, um, on March 27th of 2020, we advised our healthcare providers that they could use with the waivers and the flexibilities that they could use non-public facing audio or video communication technologies to augment their clinical cares. We have patients who live in very rural and remote areas, um, and we wanted to be able to support them so that they would not have to drive. Some of them could drive three hours to a healthcare facility. Um, we, we did recognize that it needed to be non-public facing. We did, IHS has a telehealth solution that was already in place, and um, we wanted the healthcare providers to know that they could use this technology to reach out to the patient, that if a patient needs care um, and you don't want to bring them into the facility, that you could utilize telehealth. And again, um, we did need to recognize that there are data charges. Um, we need to continue with the patient verbally consenting to this type of modality. And um, uh, we recognize that we don't store records um, within the telehealth solution. 
Thank you. Thank you. That's really interesting. So we we heard about a, a population of, a, I think you said, 2.6 million people, and they're remote, and they're in different types of uh, locations. And then we, we also heard about the conditions around the modality that you were going to access. Tell us about the solution then, uh, <clears throat> the implementation, the solution, the components of the solution, what are the pieces uh, that you pulled together uh, to be able to deliver telehealth, uh, whether they were technology components, but maybe even the collaborations and the partnerships that you uh, worked worked with to deliver. Yeah. So, so on April eighth, prior to April eighth, we had probably about one month to get ready. Um, so, as I shared, we had a telehealth solution, and I, I placed the disclaimer that I'm not supporting one solution over the other, um, or no vested interest. But we had a telehealth solution in place. And we needed to expand it rapidly to get it out to all healthcare providers. So we formed a clinical technical teams um, to determine what it would, would be needed. We also reached out to other agencies best practice. So when you think about the VA that they have Veterans Administration, that they have a huge um, telehealth uh, program. And you know, how are they utilizing it? Uh, we also reached out to other, you know, the FCC and other agencies, and I'll share more about that with partnerships. But on April 8th, we expanded telehealth agency-wide so that any healthcare provider could um, offer telehealth services to their patients. And that's so important because as you note, we are in rural areas, we have a very big digital divide. And um, the key is, is that you want, no door should not go open. So if a patient is asking for support and care, we need to be able to provide that care. Um, and not, it's not just only patient care, but when you're having this public health emergency, you have provider to provider um, consultation and care. So uh, when you think about collaboration, not with other agencies, but within your own you know, provider to provider, you might have an external um, referral to reach out to. You might need um, with emergency care as patients were requiring intensive care support um, and patients might need to be transferred that you have that resource and that you can utilize telehealth. So we increased, um, we adjusted to the increased demands of telehealth services within IHS, and we needed to recognize that um, it was important to look at how we're using telehealth. And I'll talk more about that with our metrics and, and if it's meeting their needs, and I'll share more about that. It's true, it's true. Uh, I was starting to think to ask, uh, and how is it going? And how do you know how it's going? And it is through the, uh, the metrics um, and the survey data and all of the measurable um, things that you're doing. Would you like to tell us more about that? Sure, and I, I just want to share that when we expanded telehealth, you know, we piloted it first, we made sure people could utilize it, we changed things based on input, and we formed this IHS COVID-19 telehealth leadership team. So we rolled out April, 20, April 8th of 2020, um, we offered many webinars pre and post um, how to utilize telehealth, how to support that. Um, we have a very uh, big presence with our Tele-Behavioral Health Center of Excellence that was already in existence. Um, and we created a listserv so people could share information and, and share what's working, what's not, as well as developing a toolkit. You saw a lot of toolkits come out with telehealth in the beginning, and ours was related to Indian Health Service. So if you were considering um, creating a telehealth program or offering telehealth, these were resources that were more specific, and we have our website as well. Um, I, and before I kind of go through the metrics to recognize that our electronic health record is the resource and patient management system. And you have to also recognize how um, providers are, are coding or documenting their telehealth, because that also has an impact um, if it's workload reportable or not. And their electronic health record, um, the way things are coded, uh, has an impact on even the budget. So um, we wanted to make sure that we had standardization, documentation, standardization, and that's still ongoing. And we also then wanted to look at the telehealth experience. How can you look at success? So we um, developed a survey and we, um, in November of 2020, 
we submitted, we sent out the survey and we asked a couple questions. And you can see um, here from the slide who our provider types were, uh, mainly physicians. We had uh, many different um, healthcare professionals. And as you can see, nurse practitioners, counselors, physician assistant, and others were the um, top five. What we asked during that um, survey, some of the questions, and this is not everything, but to um, identify how many uh, in the last two weeks, how much time was devoted to telehealth. And as you could see, this was in November, but um, a small amount. So greater than 60%, that was one of the majorities uh, that we saw or, uh, with um, responding to telehealth. And one thing to note is that 63% of the responders uh, addressed that. So in the time that they devoted, it was 63% of respondents spent about less than 40% of their clinical time providing telehealth. The other thing to share is what telehealth services would be valued. So we offered telehealth, but what other services that you might need to have as consultation? Um, and again, this is during the public health emergency, COVID-19, and um, behavioral health and um, specialty care were recognized. So we do offer um, different types of services besides you know, emergency care. We offer behavioral health. And to see the responses so that we can help um, reach out to our clinicians and see how we can help with um, their needs. That's need. really interesting that even, uh, especially in the middle of, of a public uh, pandemic of the COVID-19, you still have demand for telehealth services that are in behavioral health, specialty care, primary care, chronic illness. People were Rightly so, people were still looking after their overall health rather than only focused on uh, COVID. And that's really powerful and that they can uh, look at all of these services from telehealth. Yes, and if you look at the value um, valued in infrastructure, that's one of the things also to recognize is that we are in rural areas. Um, we, there is lack of bandwidth. There is lack of internet connectivity. We have patients who may not even have smartphones. Um, and we, we did find that out. So people were, might have had to borrow somebody else's phone, might need to go to a certain area to reach out um, to their clinician and, or somebody's house or a chapter house. And I'll talk about that. But the recognition of the platform. So with this evaluation, um, they, the valued infrastructure of having a platform that can support telehealth. And um, one thing that we found, and I'll show you that in our metrics, is uh, a lot of our telehealth care and support is audio or telephonic only. Um, this just talks more about the technology improvements. So that kind of segues into infrastructure, equipment, and platform to build the infrastructure. And this will help us to, this helped us seeing their responses helped us to determine that we also need to look for another telehealth solution that's scalable. Um, we wanted to look at something that's cloud-based and I will share that as well. Um, and then just the technologies for improvement. This with the survey, there was a quantitative aspect and a qualitative aspect. Um, so, you know, you hear of equipment, hardware, software, and remote monitoring equipment, challenges with the platform meeting the need. Um, and having staff, um, recognizing dedicated staff for telehealth, you know, to help schedule, to help get them in the room, to help the healthcare provider um, and IT support. So infrastructure, again, big thing, digital divide um, and lack of bandwidth. And these are, are some of our other improvements that would be helpful. This just um, recognizes overall, if you looked at that, that the, it's a vital um, it, that improved access, improved health of patients, and patients seem satisfied that it, all the healthcare providers either agreed or strongly agreed. And it's so important that um, the collaboration is there um, with other agencies, with the patients, with our tribal and urban partners, uh, so that we can provide uh, excellent quality care. That's really powerful in terms of the collaboration. It is through that whole... Uh ecosystem almost that uh, care is delivered to these uh, patients and these uh, these people. Tell us uh, within metrics uh, how it's going on utilization, the uh, um, 
utilization, the encounters, have they, how have they uh, increased or decreased and how they fluctuated. That's, uh, that's really powerful, especially for the, uh, the duration during the period that, uh, of, the, of the metrics that you're reporting. Let's not forget, came through a, uh, a COVID-19, but also of this uh, type of patient, how they're located remotely and all the challenges of the bandwidth. So it's really interesting to see how they took up the service. Sure. Um, so beginning in March, and I'm going to share this slide. Um, beginning in March of 2020, IHS facilities rapidly increased um, virtual care services from pre-COVID averages of under 1,300 per month to peaks of over 40,000 in um, last year in June and July of 2020. And based on coding data from the Indian Health Service Electronic Health Record, uh, we were able to provide metrics. So as you can see, the peaks um, from last year, and as we continue um, to look at our metrics, you can see the decrease uh, of the use of telehealth. When you look at the colors, um, what you're finding is that the IHS facilities use telephone only most frequently, and that is about 80%. So this is all based on our HCPCS codes, CPT codes, and modifiers. Um, and what the reason uh, for utilizing telehealth, as noted, is related to um, audio only, is related to some of the constraints or challenges that we do have. And I will share some more data with you, but the most frequent metrics that we just received is that 8% of all visits in the federal space or encounters was um, telehealth in August. And uh, that was the, all visits was 185,000 visits and roughly telehealth was 14,698. We also like to share some of the tribal um, utilization of telehealth. And what we're seeing is that for tribal use of telehealth, there's more video use. And some tribal, tribal communities have different commercial off-the-shelf electronic health records that, that might relate to different video um, use. But what we're finding is that the tribal facilities use telephone only about 50% and that the um, facilities use video about 48% to conduct telehealth service. And um, as I noted before, again, um, you're seeing the decreased use in telehealth. Uh, and it would be interesting to see with the Delta variant if that increases. So we're, we're looking at the metrics um, closely to see how it's telehealth being utilized. This is just more tribal um, encounters uh, for telehealth. And we look at it through service categories. We look at it with workload reporting um, and clinic stop codes. And 5% of all visits use telehealth in August. When I compare the two, and, and this is the comparison of telehealth encounters, federal and tribal, it's roughly that what you're seeing is um, in terms of video use, that it's about double. So tribal facilities utilize about double um, video use when they're meeting with their patients. That's really striking, that graph. You can see the shape of the graph is the, is, is the same, but then, as you say, tribal uses double video than federal. Mm -hmm. Is there a way of working out why, why, why this is the case? Is it the bandwidth? Is it the location being uh, more rural? Are there um, any reasons that you can... Uh, so that that's a great question. And, um, you know, as I shared, some of the tribal um, pro partners utilize commercial office shelf. And with public health emergency, we are allowing other um, solutions to be utilized like Facebook, you know, Facebook or FaceTime and um, Facebook Messenger. So when the coding is done, we're looking at that, but this helps us to determine that if we get another telehealth solution that's scalable, will our video numbers go up? And um, I'll, sh I'll share uh, the award and the acquisition in a minute. 
That's really interesting. So on uh, on the final piece on community strategies, all the collaboration with partners, uh, tell us more about how that future is looking like, your plans around uh, any upgrades, acquisitions, improvements, additions, uh, sure. and, and your plans around, around the future of, of um, collaboration. Sure, so it, it is vital that there is collaboration, um, federal, tribal, and urban partners, and then agencies, and also, you know, real world, what's, um, what is taking place? You're seeing now a lot more um, studies being done, best practices for telehealth. Um, when we looked at community strategies, one thing that we look at is, you know, we are rural in some of our facilities, and how can we get devices into the hands um, of our patients. We reached out to the FCC, Federal Communications Commission, the Department of Commerce, um, and that is the National Telecommunication and Information Administration, or NTIA, um, and the VA. So the collaboration was there to meet and see what they're doing. With the NTIA um, last over the past year, they had over $1 billion to support telehealth programs and grants for tribal programs. Um, with the FCC, they have the Lifeline program. So that also helps provide funds. So when you have patients who might not have a lot of resources funding um, to help either with a smartphone or to help with you know, your services uh, is huge and it's vital. So um, we did meet recently in August with the VA and they shared that they have a telepresenter certificate program that they're partnered with the University of Florida and it's free for those who would like to take it. So these are some of the strategies that we're looking at. And again, we do recognize that it is a challenge um, when you are dealing with rural areas. So uh, when the pandemic first hit and patients needed to go to the facility, you know, the facilities might have internet out in the parking lot with um, tablets that the patient could utilize. And so it's being innovative in your thinking, looking at chapter houses, maybe you could provide internet in these chapter houses and how you can collaborate with those in the community, with your other agencies and with our other tribal programs. This just um, talks about the acquisition that we awarded. So um, we went through a whole acquisition process, performed market research on what's out there. We developed our requirements. We had a clinical and a technical team to look at the different vendors and the um, proposals. Uh, the contract was awarded on July 8th. Um, AA Ring MD Joint Ventures LLC was the uh, vendor who was selected. And it's going to take about six to eight months to complete the authorization to operate the ATO process. And one last thing to share is, so our evaluation as noted, recognize the need for infrastructure, looking at platforms, things like that. So Cisco meeting um, is the uh, telehealth solution that we utilize from the get-go and it's now being upgraded to WebEx. So we are in the process right now of um, a phased approach implementation with pilot testing a uh, small group of users, then facilities, and we hope to go live by the uh, end of October with, with, well, beginning of October with Cisco meeting sunsetting in the end of October. The, the last thing to share too is about the notice of proposed rulemaking. So CMS officially released the proposed rule in July and the time to provide comments was by September 13th. But just, I, I always put this in here because it's important to know these rules. As you can see, when we talk about collaboration, there was an HHS uh, telehealth a group that would meet to look at what sort of things could we suggest keeping post public health emergency, post pandemic. And this rule addresses some of those, you know, the audio only interaction. Um, they recognize the uh, need to require in-person non-telehealth services to be provided by the physician. They provide some information about that. I did include that in the presentation, the link to the notice of proposed rulemaking, uh, but to, to realize that everybody is finding audio only has been 
uh, positive uh, alternative to providing telehealth when you have areas that cannot do video. So these are some of the things that have been suggested. Let me see if I got get that right. So the the proposed rulemaking is proposing to limit the use of audio only. But that that's that's going to be a challenge for the areas with low bandwidth because they do require audio only. Is that is that where we are? So that's um, so it'll be interesting to see what the final rule is states, but to that um, at least audio only will be um, recognized as one modality. It'll be interesting to see who will be allowed to use audio only. Okay. Um, yeah, because one thing that I, I look at the rule, it says to allow certain services added to the Medicare telehealth list to remain on the list um, that ends December 31st, 2023. And it also um, expand access to tele-mental health services by allowing patients in any geographical location and in their home to access telehealth services for diagnostic evaluation and treatment for mental health disorders, allow for audio-only communication technologies to be used when patients are in their home when receiving tele-mental health service. So like I shared, it'll be interesting to see who will be allowed to use audio only when the final rule is published. One thing to share, and I just, to put a plug out, we, um, Indian Health Service has a listserv. Uh, anybody can join this listserv. And we also have our website if you would like to contact us. And this is uh, information about our IHS award for the telehealth contract. Um, we, we did recognize the increased demand for telehealth services and to complement the current telehealth platform, we are um, implementing another platform that is going to be cloud-based and scalable. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Susie Postel, uh, the health informatics uh, chief, um, the health informatics officer at the Indian Health Service. Thank you for also everybody who's helping with the IHS uh, telehealth initiative. Uh, from us uh, at the Partners in Digital Health, thank you so much and uh, good luck for all the future endeavors you described. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to share the great work taking place. And I truly am appreciative of the collaboration um, within IHS and external to support patient care. Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Uh, you are joining the Converge to Accelerate uh, conference, CONV2X, the 2021 edition. On behalf of the partners in digital health, I thank you for joining us today. This is going to be a very interesting session um, in, with the title, How Health Plan Providers and Telehealth Partnerships Advance Care and Scaled Adoption. At this point, let me welcome Dr. Scott Rissmiller, MD. He's an Executive Vice President and the Chief Physician Executive at Atrium Health, uh, speaking to us from Charlotte, North Carolina. Hello, Dr. Scott. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you. Good to be here. And welcome, welcome to you. Thank you for joining us and uh, thank you for joining Converge to Accelerate. Um, we'd like to uh, listen to you, Dr. Scott, um, about the uh, Atrium Health Virtual Edge. Um, who are you <laughs> and who are you becoming at uh, Atrium Health Virtual Edge? Sure, um, and thank you. And I really appreciate the opportunity to speak um, and to share our experience. It's been quite a journey and, uh, and, and the best is yet to come, we firmly believe. So next slide, please. Just a little bit about who we are at Atrium Health. Uh, next slide. 
So we are a large integrated healthcare delivery uh, system. We are over 70,000 employees, um, approximately 40 or so hospitals across the Southeast, mostly North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. Um, about 12.4 billion in uh, revenue and, and growing quickly across the, uh, the Southeast. Um, so we have aspirations to continue to grow and, and spread our mission, which is truly to um, provide health, hope, and healing uh, to all, uh, regardless of ability to pay and what have you. And I will tell you that the telehealth journey has greatly advanced our ability to live up to our mission. Uh, next slide. So we have been on this journey for about a decade now, and we really believe that it's not, the key is not just technology. And I think that's a given, and we and lots have figured that out, some the hard way by thinking that the cool, snappy technology tool is going to solve all the world's problems. And in healthcare, it's extremely complicated, um, as, as we have all come to find out. We have focused really in four areas, the virtual clinical teams, which sounds straightforward, but that is a huge culture shift for a lot of our clinicians um, and, and for our patients as well. The clinical and culture and workflow, um, the telemedicine platform, which is uh, user-friendly on both sides, both from the provider standpoint as well as from the uh, patient uh, standpoint. And then undergirding all of this is a rigorous data algorithms and reporting for that continuous improvement. We pride ourselves as a learning organization and it really is that data um, and the un underlying it that allows us to continually improve our process and uh, meet our patients' needs. Next slide. So we believe the demand uh, drivers for telehealth sort of break into three areas or buckets. And man, we have seen this accelerate over the past year and a half with, with the pandemic. So really the three uh, that we break it into uh, for demand is the policy and advocacy, the technology and innovation and consumer demand. I'll hit each one just quickly. Policy and advocacy, that is where we have seen just uh, incredible um, uh, progress in regard through the pandemic. You know, you always try and find the silver lining in uh, difficult times. And certainly the pandemic has been something that none of us uh, would have wanted, nor do we want it to continue and ready for it to go away. Personally, I think we all are. But we've had incredible progress on the policy and advocacy front, um, especially in regards to regulation and um, legislation in the United States, uh, where uh, through the emergency waivers, we have been able to really grow um, our telehealth footprint. And we'll show you um, our advancements over the, the past year and a half. But that has been significant, and I think really sets the, the framework or the groundwork, if you will, for accelerated um, progress from this point forward, if, if those um, uh, regulation um, allowances continue. And I think that is still in question. Technology and innovation, we have been able to do things over this past year and a half that we've been talking about for a decade, but didn't believe was uh, maybe ready for prime time, if you will. And it, it's really been through the ingenuity of our clinicians um, that have really advanced um, the, the user case for, uh, for uh, telehealth. Um, and fortunately, um, we've had great partners along the way um, that have uh, provided the digital uh, and innovation that we have needed to keep up with the care models that our clinicians have been developing over the past year and a half. And then consumer demand. It was sort of a nice to have, if you will, prior to the pandemic and it very quickly became a must-have if we were going to be able to continue to serve our patient population. And um, the great thing is we knew before from our data, uh, before the pandemic, that if patients gave telehealth a try, they actually loved it and came back. But it was just getting them to, uh, to do that first, you know, press the button um, and, and do the visit. And, you know, so uh, the pandemic sort of forced our communities and our patients to do that, and they, and they love it, and they've come back. And now we find ourselves in a good uh, position where uh, going forward, patients don't want us to go back to uh, pre-pandemic uh, models of care. They love the access that comes from telehealth, and to be honest with you, so do our clinicians. So uh, the consumer demand is driving a lot of what we do now. Next slide. And then on value creation, this is just the buckets of how we look at it from an integrated healthcare system. The first is really access. And um, when, you know, certainly when you think of access, you think of, oh, I, I have a, 
I have something that I need to get in quickly and we push a button um, and, and uh, get access to that care. But where it is really shown or shined, if you will, is in our underserved areas, um, whether it be rural um, or in our urban areas. Um, we had a no-show rate in our underserved clinic, our urban clinics in Charlotte, North Carolina of about 26, 27%, meaning um, one out of every four patient prior to the pandemic uh, was not able to make their appointment. And that was primarily due to transportation issues. Um, and we switched uh, to virtual during the pandemic and that no-show rate dropped um, to eight, seven or 8%. And we've been able to maintain that. So with that comes improved outcomes, which is what we're about caring for our communities. So um, the access is huge value creation. Um, delivering the higher acuity locally, we are able to keep uh, very sick patients in their rural hospitals by bringing specialty care to them um, and track and engage uh, patients, partners, and providers. Obviously, we've made good, great relationships um, uh, in our communities as well with other uh, uh, partners to help uh, do this telehealth. Reduce transfers capacity, that has been a major issue um, through covid um, to allow us to be able to reserve beds for the sickest at our uh, quaternary facilities, and then spread infra infrastructure across our organization, cost across our organization, and improve efficiency of care. So this has been something that when you're starting up, it's always very expensive, but as you can grow it and scale it, there's those economies of scale that have really allowed us to expand quickly. So that's a little bit about our journey and who we are, um, and uh, uh, would love to uh, keep Keep going from here. Yes, sir. Thank you for that. Dr. Scott, would you tell us more about the journey up till now, the uh, years uh, that has that have passed that have uh, allowed you to be in this position? Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. So we've been uh, about a decade ago, um, my predecessor as the chief physician, executive Roger Ray, um, asked a group of physician leaders a decade from now, if we were to fast forward, what is that one thing that if we do not invest in now, we will wish we had. And the resounding answer was, was virtual medicine telehealth. And so we started our journey um, in, in uh, telehealth um, about 12 years ago. Um, and at that time it was pure cost and investment. And it was started by people raising their hand, hey, I got a great idea. And then over the years has turned into a integrated program of care um, for our patients. And again, we, we view telehealth as uh, as care, nothing special. It's just another tool in the toolbox so patients can receive the care they need. And we really focus it around the patient and we look across the entire continuum. And one of my concerns with telehealth, I do believe if done in, uh, in a siloed manner, has the uh, risk of siloing care or fragmenting care further. So I do believe um, delivering virtual care or telehealth in the setting of an integrated delivery system is very important to keep that continuity. So we partners partner with the community through a, a school clinics, employer clinics, primary and specialty care. Obviously, we have a great program where we integrate uh, behavioral health into our primary care office virtually, and I'll speak to that in a second. Uh, emergency care, telestroke, telepsychiatry, telehospitalists, inpatient, um, you can see tele, uh, virtual critical care, um, tele-ID, where we've been able to, especially through the pandemic, keep patients at home in their higher, um, high acuity patients home in their local community hospitals. Um, post-acute through patient observation, telehospitalists, again, coming into the post-acute setting, and then into the patient's home. We uh, developed um, a uh, Atrium Health Hospital home, which I'll touch on, which um, in 2020, we were able to care for over 50,000 patients with COVID in the comfort of their home with great outcomes and very high acuity patients, which we'll touch on in just a moment. So next slide. So a little bit about the, uh, a few of these programs um, and thinking about the partnerships. Uh, we are able to, uh, in one of our rural towns, uh, Shelby, North Carolina, uh, we are able to partner with the local uh, government and local uh, public school system and piloted, and now it's really taken off, um, a virtual uh, in-school um, uh, uh, care program where, you know, in, in current state, if your child gets uh, sick in elementary school, you get that call, you have to leave work, you have to try and get them to a doctor's appointment, and the day is, is pretty much shot. So we partnered with our uh, local public schools in, the, in this rural setting and it, uh, provided virtual 
uh, care pediatricians to um, the school. So now the school nurse can beam in immediately with a pediatrician and we uh, are able to get that patient either back into the classroom quickly after an evaluation or we're able to uh, uh, call in the prescriptions right away, have them uh, ready so when the, the, the parent picks the child up, they have the prescription and everything else um, decreasing you know, time to treatment and those type of things. What we've seen is significant improvement in access. 20% of these patients did not have a doctor, so they um, would have struggled just finding access um, alone. Improvement in management of chronic diseases, reduction uh, by a third of early dismissal. So a third of these um, students were able to go back to class um, that day. And then reduction, uh, over 50% reduction in inappropriate ED visits as we monitor this. So great partnership with local schools um, and um, serving our, our rural communities. So next slide. So virtual behavioral health, this is another area where we have invested significantly in incredible innovation of our teams. We all know that behavioral health is a national shortage and um, especially through the pandemic even more so is a national emergency um, where uh, access to behavioral health is, is very, very limited. Um, so what we did was we were able to uh, uh, embed behavioral health uh, specialists um, into the primary care office. And the way it works is when a patient goes to the primary care physician, they uh, fill out a form that screens for anxiety, depression, and other mental health issues, the uh, PHQ-9. This is uh, captured within the EMR, but also is given to the primary care physician um, as they are going in to see the patient. If there's something on it that flags that this patient is at risk and needs help, following the primary care uh, appointment, they are then immediately connected virtually to a behavioral health uh, physician or PA or nurse practitioner who is able to diagnose and start treatment immediately. And then they are registered within um, our registry and have ongoing care from that point on with our behavioral health team through the primary care physician. So what this does is immediately um, provides that access and starts treatment um, immediately and then provides for the follow-up. The results have been significant um, and we have data underpinning all of this, um, but really you see improvement in their medical issues, in their, I'm sorry, in their uh, mental health issues, but you also see improvement in clinical outcomes. You see a lowering of their hemoglobin A1Cs if they're diabetics, improvement in their cholesterols, weight, et cetera, because of when we're in a better place mentally, we're more apt to adhere to the care plan that has been prescribed. We've seen decrease in inpatient visits, emergency visits, et cetera, and lower cost of care through this. Um, we have published this. We have uh, the data underpinning all of this, and it's just been a great success story, and we're uh, currently scaling this through all of our 100-plus um, primary care offices. So next slide. That's just amazing. Uh, Dr. Scott, can you talk to us about uh, scaling for the future, how the acceleration through the pandemic and beyond? Sure. So as I said, um, you always try and find the silver lining in um, every challenge and certainly the pandemic has been a challenge, um, but there's been so many great stories that have come through it, um, not just with us, I hear it across the country. Um, so next, next slide. So um, what really enabled us, two things enabled us to truly um, accelerate. One was the uh, ingenuity of our uh, clinicians. Um, and they came together and, um, and really went to work at going, okay, we can't, we're not able to bring patients into the office. How can we flip this switch virtually quickly um, in a way that allows our patients to receive the care they need? Um, and uh, allows us to be efficient. And our, uh, we are uh, able to pivot very quickly, as you can see by the growth in visits um, down at the bottom, April, May, significant increase um, in both ambulatory uh, encounters and visits. And this was also fueled by the public health emergency, which allowed for several things. It allowed for state across state licensing. We're at Charlotte, North Carolina, right on the border of South Carolina, and we also are down in Georgia. So to have that waiver uh, in regards to the state licensing was huge, um, as well as the flexibility around site of service um, was has been a significant accelerator. And then also just the uh, coverage and payment parity. 
Um, this is something that requires a, a fair amount of investment to have one, the infrastructure in place, but also um, the ongoing um, uh, uh, ability to, to offer it to our patients and to be able to receive reimbursement for that to cover our costs and investment at that time allowed us to truly accelerate. And this is where we uh, are advocating at the state and local level um, and the federal level to ensure that these um, things that en enabled us through um, the pandemic, through the uh, public health emergency waivers, uh, stay in place to allow us to continue to accelerate because we think this is crucial um, to the ongoing care of our patients, especially in underserved and uh, areas such as rural and, um, and urban locations. So on the flip side of this, what this also allowed was uh, patients to access us um, uh, in a much uh, uh, more consumer-friendly way and to receive the care that they needed and really sort of allowed us to uh, build the trust with the patients. And underpinning all of this, we, have, uh, we are a learning organization. We have uh, uh, incredible data sources that show um, the improvement in care, the uh, patient experience around um, uh, virtual. Uh, it is. It continually gets very, very high marks from a patient experience standpoint. Um, so it has been a win-win. But it really was two things. It was um, the engine. Well, three. The ingenuity of our clinicians developing these models. Two. Uh, the the relaxing, if you will, of the regulations around it that allowed for acceleration uh, cross state as well as. Um, parity from a coverage and, pay and payment standpoint, and then three, the, the acceptance of our uh, patients winning them over through the care model. Next slide. So you saw from the slide, but we saw, and lots of people saw this, this crazy numbers, right? It's, uh, you know, 6,000%. I'm not even sure how that translates, but um, big growth in regards to uh, virtual visits. And we are doing a lot prior to 2020 as well. The development of the hospital at home, um, which I'll touch on in just a quick second, um, really was significant for Atrium Health, um, and I'll speak to that in a minute. Inpatient virtual care, our, we, uh, hospitals are, uh, cover, we have one hospitals program, which we grew ourselves at Atrium Health that uh, covers all of our 30 plus hospitals, and they were able to um, flex virtually rather than having to drive to the different hospitals to cover. If there was a surge at one hospital, we were able to round, admit patients, et cetera, virtually really expanding the efficiency of that team through virtual measures. And then we're growing. Uh, recently um, uh, have uh, acquired uh, uh, Madison Health in Macon, Georgia, and most recently uh, Floyd Healthcare System in uh, Rome, Georgia. And we are actively, aggressively uh, expanding our virtual offerings uh, there. Next slide. So hospital home, uh, this was started uh, when, uh, last March or so um, when um, obviously the pandemic hit and we we're uh, faced with a couple of things, PPE shortage as well as uh, capacity constraints in our hospitals. Um, and our clinicians uh, came together and um, in a matter of just a couple of weeks with partnering with IAS, our IAS team, um, our um, uh, 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 HR team, et cetera, we are able to develop this hospital at home. And it's two floors. And just real quick, there's an observation floor, and then there's more of an acute floor. Um, we were able to partner with uh, some of our technology partners um, to get uh, basically a hospital at home uh, kit that would go home with the patients. If you were diagnosed with uh, COVID, you were sent home with a, a blood pressure monitor as well as a pulse ox machine. We are able then to link that through an app that we developed in your phone that immediately connected to your uh, EHR and to our care team. So what we had a team of nurses and physicians who are able to monitor thousands of patients at once um, in real time through this app. On the observation floor, we would che just check in with them each day and they would do their uh, blood pressure and oxygen levels um, uh, and temperature throughout the day and we were able to monitor those. On the second floor, the more acute floor, we would actually send community paramedicine into the home on a daily basis to do uh, in-house assessments as well as uh, continued virtual monitoring. We are one of the few healthcare systems or the earliest healthcare systems to do IV remdesivir um, at home. Uh, uh, to receive IV remdesivir, you have to be on home oxygen therapy and that. So these are these are sick patients who would have been in our hospital. So this freed up capacity in our facilities and the experience for our patients was amazing. They love this program. Um, and that we are now in the process of 
transitioning away from COVID patients now into more chronic patients, heart failure, um, post-stroke, uh, post any medical issue in, in the hospital, allowing for earlier discharges, lower cost, et cetera. So really exciting program um, that we have uh, developed and uh, are scaling. Next slide. And again, underpinning this um, uh, is a uh, 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 partnership with uh, CMS at this time. They have a program, a waiver, which they've invited a small number of hospitals and work systems, and we're one of them, um, to really look at um, a, uh, exploring hospital at home as an ongoing uh, viable uh, uh, solution for uh, patients who uh, can be cared for at home, but that are higher acuity and normally would be in the hospital. You can see the criteria here. Um, what this allows for too is uh, payment parity around this. So we are being reimbursed um, uh, as if it's an acute facility and we have to meet all the same criteria. And uh, we're currently doing so um, as if the patient was in the hospital. So this is really exciting. We're super excited to see where this goes. Um, and it allows us to be able to continue to develop this. I truly believe the future of healthcare is at home. That's where we all want to be. Um, and, uh, and I think we're on our way to doing it. And partnerships like this with CMS is key to achieving that. And then next slide. So this is how we sort of view things. You know, organizationally, we think we have uh, over the past decade built out these areas of strength, uh, engagement buy-in from our uh, patients as well as our clinicians, the clinical and technical expertise, uh, dozens and dozens of different models. Clini uh, clini our clinicians are bought in. We've proven we can do it and we have that reputation. We have the resources and structures and also partnerships are developing um, and are, are accelerating. External factors certainly the market um, is looking for this now. We have a sicker population that um, I think telehealth virtual care is, uh, is uh, poised to really serve. And then payment model changes, partnerships with CMS, our state and local um, uh, governments, as well as with uh, commercial payers, et cetera. Um, lots of opportunity here. And this is where I think our biggest risk and opportunity is. If we go back to our pre um, COVID um, regulations and policies, uh, I think, I'm afraid we're going to see telehealth uh, start to uh, decrease again, but um, I'm optimistic uh, in what we're seeing in regards to our partnerships and the conversations we're having, because I do believe that this is the future and our patients uh, want it and demand it and as they should. So next slide. So that is all. Um, we, that's a, a quick overview of who we are and um, our journey over the past decade and how we're accelerating. Again, it, it cannot be done without partnerships from uh, technology um, uh, partners, as well as uh, state, local, and federal government. Um, uh, the biggest things we need are uh, continued um, uh, the, the uh, things that we are allowed to do through the pandemic to, to continue so we can continue to invest and grow what I believe is the future of healthcare and uh, is uh, poised to improve access um, to those who need it most, the underserved um, and, and others, and to lower the cost of care for healthcare. So Joe, I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Thank you so much. Deeply interesting and very, very exciting future uh, as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Scott. Uh, Riss Miller, uh, the Chief uh, Physician Executive at Atrium Health. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. It's my pleasure and thank you for having me.